Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Good morning, Grace. Good to be with you today. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And as you're turning there, I want to kind of open up this morning by reading from a children's storybook Bible. So Crossway has recently uh, promoted their new Bible that they're uh, putting out for kids. And in, in so doing, for Easter, they release these little booklets that have some of those stories that are talking about the Easter narrative. I mean, I just think it could be a good, refreshing way to uh, see a story that may be familiar for some, uh, and maybe just a light for, for not just children, for, but for all of us. So this is the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, and so we want to take time in this season as the church to remember the significance of, of Jesus showing up the way he did, doing what he did, defeating death, and that, that's why we're here today. He started the church, and so here we are. And so uh, if you just want to go ahead and turn to Luke 19 and then follow along as I'm reading uh, from it's this Bible, if you're interested in it, it's called the Biggest Story Bible Storybook, Easter Stories. So it's a lot of stories. Here we go. The biggest story is all about Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the snake crusher. Can I get an amen? Snake crusher. I hate snakes. So Jesus, thank you for killing snakes. Amen. And believe it or not, this story is told, the story that is told is mainly about his death. Yes. There's the Christmas story about his birth, and there's plenty of stories about his miracles and his ministry. But the biggest thing about the biggest story is that Jesus died. And of course, that he didn't stay dead. That's why the Bible tells us nothing about Jesus the toddler or Jesus the teenager or Jesus the college student. Okay, there wasn't college yet, but it does tell us a lot about the last week of Jesus's life. The last week started happy on Sunday, but for just a few hours. Then things got sad and sadder and sadder still until Friday and Saturday were the saddest days in the history of the world. Then Sunday came, and it turned out that all the very sad things were a part of God's very amazing plan. But we'll get to that Sunday soon enough. If you skip the sad parts of the story, the happy parts won't seem nearly as happy as they really are. So let's start with the first Sunday of the last week of Jesus' life. We call this day Palm Sunday, because the crowds lined the roads with their coats and with palm branches like a king was coming to town. And he was. The king was Jesus, and he rode to Jerusalem on a donkey. The disciples and the crowd of pilgrims gathered round to sing his praises. Hosanna to the son of David, they shouted. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, they believed Jesus was the Messiah they had been waiting for. What a happy day. Except it wasn't happy for everyone. The Pharisees didn't like all the attention Jesus was getting. They didn't think Jesus deserved the praise he was receiving. Teacher, they said to Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. Jesus made clear he didn't agree with the professional party poopers. I read this to my daughters the other night and she said, Daddy, we don't say poop. I said, Jesus said it so we can say it. It's fine. You're welcome, parents. 
If these people were silent, he said to the Pharisees, the stones would start crying in their place. Listen to this line. You can't shut up the whole world when its creator comes to town. Yeah. As happy as the crowds were on Palm Sunday, by the time Jesus made it near the city, his smiles had turned to tears. He looked at the great city of Jerusalem and wept because he knew what was going to happen. The people were going to reject him. They were refusing to follow the true king. They were going to kill the one who came to save them. Jesus cried for the sad days that would come upon Jerusalem in the years ahead. This was hard. Harder still, Jesus knew on that happy Palm Sunday that the hardest, saddest days of all would be the ones he would have to endure over the next week. Grace, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're here this morning to honor the King. And we thank you that Jesus is King. It doesn't matter what we think about that or our opinion on that, because you didn't ask. <laughs> but you're here to declare the truth, that Jesus is King. And he's alive and he's well, and he's here to make his name known. He's here to uh, be worshipped and adored, and I thank you that, that it's already happening in this place. That Jesus, your name is elevated and lifted high, and so we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd continue to draw our hearts to Jesus, that you'd continue to grow the affection and love that we have for Jesus in this place. And Lord, I pray for anything that would get in the way of Jesus being made much of, that you would remove it right now. Doubt, anxiety, fear, disbelief, that it would bow down to the kingship of Jesus right now. God, I pray for the people in the room who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, that today would be the day they cross over from death into life. And God, I want to specifically pray for the people who think they're saved but are not. God, that you would save them today, not, not condemn them, but call them out from condemnation into your marvelous light. God, we pray that you would get all the attention this morning, that we wouldn't walk away saying that was great, that was awesome, but that you are great and you are awesome. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your precious name. And all his people said, amen. amen. Big reveals merit big responses. Big reveals merit big responses. We know this to be true in everyday life, right? Like proposals. We see proposals happen. You propose. Ladies, you were proposed to. The, the goal of that wasn't for you to be like, eh, let me think about it, right? The goal was that you would be wowed. I think of the amount of effort I put into uh, pro proposing to my wife. It's, I spent hours upon hours, and it took hours, and I'm thankful my wife wasn't just like, meh, right? That she was excited. Gender reveals, that's the new thing, right? Everybody's like trying to get creative and weird, frankly, with how they go about gender reveals. But the goal of that, right, is when you figure out, you know, if you're going to have a boy or a girl, you're not like, crap. No, like, the goal's like, yes, which I find hilarious because, like, Boy or girl, you should be excited. I remember with our uh, oldest, it was, you know, a girl, and my, my wife was like, I'm so glad it was a girl. I'm like, would you have not liked it if it was a boy? Like, you know, I don't know. Movie releases, when the trailers for new movies come out, when the Batman trailer released, I was like losing my mind. The goal of the way they craft those things is not for you to just be like, well, I'll think about seeing it. Breaking news reports, like when uh, Ukraine was getting attacked, like, and that started to flash everywhere, the goal of that wasn't for you just to like idly sit by. They're trying to draw you in, grab your attention. When medical diagnoses are given, right, when the hard ones that we don't want to hear, the goal is that we're presenting it in a way, it's a big deal, but we want to present it in a way that's loving and caring and gives time for it to sink in. 
the vision casting meetings at work. Their goal of, you know, your boss or the CEO is to lay this new vision down, not so you just, you know, let me think about it, but that you'd actually be bought in, wowed, and become a part of it. Or maybe when your kids do something adorable, you just feel the urge to post it on Instagram. Can I get an amen? Like, that's me and my wife, unashamedly. Or maybe when your kid also, a big reveal merits a big response when your kid does something they shouldn't do, right? The best, though, is when those two things begin to merge, something adorable your kid does, but it's something they shouldn't do. Kingsley, my youngest, she's four, just turned four. We've learned with both of our kids, but specifically Kingsley, if it's quiet, call the cops, all right, in our house. You can assume the house is on fire or something's wrong, right? So it had been probably about seven minutes, felt like 70 minutes, all right? It had been quiet, and we're like, oh, Hallie's not home. What's Kingsley up to? She had gone upstairs, and she has this tendency, again, to, to be the troublemaker. And we're like, oh, snap, something's not right. And so this is what happened. We'll throw that picture up there. Uh, this is what happened. Kingsley <laughs> got into Chan and my wife's makeup. Uh, her face is not naturally that orange, just putting it out there, okay? <laughs> so we're like, Kingsley, what are you doing? And she just comes trotting down the steps with that big old smile on her face. This big reveal, what was the, the big response? Post it on social media, duh, that's what you do when something this adorable and chaotic begins to happen. I put this before you this morning to say, again, big reveals merit big responses. We can go ahead and take that picture off the screen. <laughs> Jesus, in the last week of his life, shows up on the scene in a way that is a big reveal because it merits a big response. It's interesting. If you look at the life of Jesus and his ministry, people are often trying to put him in the spotlight and his response is, hey, no, chill out. Not yet. It's not my time yet. People are constantly trying to say, hey, look, he's the one. Look at him. Come on. And Jesus is like, nah, man, y'all chill. Calm down. And we'll get there. Not quite yet. And in this moment, on Palm Sunday, when Jesus rides into town, now is the big moment where Jesus is going to not let all the things around him uh, kind of put him in the spotlight. He's going to put himself on display for the world to see. Here's what we need to walk away with this morning, Grace. Jesus reveals his royalty so that we can respond to him rightly. Jesus reveals his royalty so we can respond to him rightly. The question for you this morning is, are you responding to Jesus rightly? He shows up on the scene, and he's too big of a deal for you not to respond to him, by the way. And to not respond is a response. But the question is, are we responding to him rightly? And what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is look at this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 28 through 44, and we're going to see some of the responses and some of the ways in which people react to Jesus showing up in this way. And my hope for us this morning is that we'll glean things from this and be able to learn for ourselves what does it look like for us to respond to Jesus rightly. So that is our question that we're going to answer this morning. How do we respond to Jesus? What's the right way to do that? And before we begin to unpack some of these points, because I think they're important, I think they're biblical, I think they're relevant. However, they're not going to work if you think that the reason we need to do this is so that God can love you. They're not going to work if you think, well, man, I just got to get some more energy and effort into doing some of these points so that, man, I'll be on God's good side. No, Jesus has done all that work for you. The result then is you get Holy Spirit to help empower you and enable you to do the very things that we're going to challenge you to do this morning. And that's not a semantics thing. That's a massive deal. That's like Christian or not Christian thing. It's like how we do the Bible biblically thing. And so here's what we need to know this morning. We need Holy Spirit to respond to Jesus rightly. Like we need, he's not an option. 
It's not for those of us who feel more comfortable with him. No, we desperately need Holy Spirit this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to, like, make sense of this today. God, we pray against any temptation or inkling to, like, white-knuckle this thing. Holy Spirit, we need you to do this. We need you to help make sense of how we respond to Jesus properly. So let's go for it. Chapter 19, starting in verse 28, it says, And when they had said these things, he went on ahead. Jesus had just had this encounter where he gave these parables. And in this parable is the ten minas parable. And real quickly, that parable is significant because what's happening is Jesus is saying, Hey, I'm giving you the kingdom of God. How you steward it is massively important. And that was the last kind of thing he says before he goes and makes his uh, self known. And what he's trying to communicate in that parable is, hey, I'm going to reveal my kingship, but not in the way you think I am. It's going to look a lot different. It's not going to happen necessarily the way you want, but it's going to be much better than anything you could have thought. And so as he says that, he then uh, goes and he's making his way towards Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it, and just as he had, just as he had told them, and they were untying the colt, and its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and listen to this, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. First thing we need to know this morning, to respond to Jesus rightly, we need to revere him as king. Revere him as king. Jesus is coming from Jericho to Jerusalem, and in the, on the journey, he decides to make this interesting stop along the way. And the reason being is, is he's wanting to prepare himself and prepare the scenarios that he's revealed in a certain way. Not that he just rolls up into Jerusalem, but the way in which he does that draws the attention of the crowd because he wants them to see them or to see him for who he actually is. It's important for us to see. So Jesus told his disciples to get a colt or a donkey and to bring it. And he even told them what to say uh, as people begin to question that. Jesus, in so doing, is fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which is a prophecy about the Messiah. If you take notes, write that down. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Here's what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. If you're not listening yet, hear me say this to you. Your king is coming to you. Jesus shows up and he is your king and he's here this morning and he's coming for you. Are you ready? Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The story continues to play out just like Jesus said it would. Uh, the disciples go and they ask for the donkey and they're like, well, why do you need it? And he says, because the Lord needs this. And then they begin to throw their cloaks on the donkey. And they set Jesus on it and they begin to spread their cloaks and palms all along the road as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. Now, why would they do that? Like, why would they take their coats and throw it on donkeys and throw it on the road? And why would they lay palms? Like, for us, it's a little foreign. If you've grown up in church, you may know the reason. But the reality is this is what you do when a king comes to town. This isn't like what you do just when, you know, your, your loved ones or your family or someone you like or someone you have a crush on shows up. No, it's 
specifically reserved for kings, those who are royal. The behavior is appropriate and right because they're revering Jesus as king. Now, I'm using that word revere, and for those of us who don't know what that means, let me explain to you what that word means. To prize, adore, cherish, respect, enjoy, worship. To regard as worthy of great honor. If we want to respond to the kingship of Jesus, we have to adore him. We have to prize him, to cherish him, to long for him. As you right now, we're walking through the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah begins to paint this image in, I believe, chapter 26, where he says, my soul longs for you. Like he's saying, in the middle of the night, I wake up at 3 a.m., and my heart is longing for the name of God to be known amongst the earth. Like Isaiah gets this image of like revering the king, and that's the appropriate response. If we want to respond to Jesus rightly, we must revere him as king. And this morning, he's coming to you and to me. It doesn't matter where you're at, what you think about him, how long you've been a Christian, or if you're not, or you're not interested whatsoever. The good news is, regardless of what you think about Jesus, doesn't change what he's up to. <laughs> and what he's here to do this morning in his grace and mercy and beauty and justice and love is approach us and to remind us of his authority and his kingship. And he's asking, will you submit to me? Will you surrender to my kingship this morning? Because allowing Jesus to be the king and ruler of your life is much better than anything you could come up with. It may look different, maybe challenging and hard in ways for you, but it's much better for Jesus to be the king. And he's the king of everything. And so one day, we prayed this earlier this morning, like one day, every knee in this room, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus is Lord. It'll, it'll happen. Why not today? Because if you choose to do it today, I promise you, read the book, it gets, it's way better to do it now than to wait. That's not scaring you into following Jesus. It's just helping you align with reality this morning. Will you bow to his kingship? So what does that look like, though? What does it look like to submit to the kingship of Jesus? Again, we need Holy Spirit to do this. Like the flesh doesn't want this. Like the world, our enemy, the devil, Satan himself absolutely doesn't want this. And yet this is what we're made for. This is what we're created to do. So we need Holy Spirit to help encourage us and help motivate us and actually help move us into obedience and to surrender in the kingship of Jesus. But I want to make clear this morning that surrendering to the kingship of Jesus must look like something. Jesus's kingship requires more than just lip service. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. Because many of us, if we're really honest, for maybe some of our lives, or maybe you're here right now, we've settled for Jesus being king on our lips, but our lives look nothing like it. And that doesn't mean that we don't have moments of weakness or that we don't fall or whatever, but, it, but holistically, like we claim Christ with our lips, but then we claim us to be king in every other area. And Jesus loves you too much and is too concerned about his glory and wants the best for you to let you keep doing that. And so he's here this morning to invite you in. Hey, what would it look like if your lips and your life began to align? And you begin to say the right things, but also begin to do the right things because your motivation was right. Because your heart was actually surrendered to me. And so you didn't have to feel like you still needed control of your life because you know the king of kings has already got it. That's the invitation this morning. It's submission and surrender in every area of your life. It's being open-handed with everything. 
There's that that well-known Christian song, I Surrender All, and yet sometimes we sing it, and what we're really singing is, I surrender most of it. (laughs) Or I surrender like 99.999% of it. And yet the reality of Scripture leaves no room for that reality. He's either Lord or he's not. And if he's Lord of 99.9%, he's not Lord. And if you're here this morning and you're feeling conviction right now, praise God because Holy Spirit's on the move. Don't beat yourself up. Jesus died for all the shame, all the guilt, all the sin, all the things that make you a hypocrite. He died for that. So don't dwell in it. Like embrace the grace that God is trying to pour out upon you this morning. But it does mean allowing parts of our lives that are not in alignment with Jesus to come underneath his authority. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And the thing for you above everything else is to surrender your life to him. Your very heart. But but I don't know all the answers to all the questions. Join the family, bro. (laughs) Here's what I know. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize I don't know. But the more I'm aware that he knows everything, so I don't have to know it all. Ah, but I just got all this mess in my life. That's the point. (laughs) Would you actually give that to Jesus? One of my favorite analogies I've heard, I can't even remember who shared this with me, but they said it this way, like, do you clean a fish before you catch it? Many of us think like, well, I got to get my life all in order before I can give it to Jesus. No, Jesus catches you while you're dirty and gross and messy, gets a hold of you, changes you from the inside out, and it's too good to leave you where you're at. That's what he's up to this morning. Will you submit and surrender? Here's some areas of your life maybe that need to be submitted and surrendered to him. Because if your life is his, then is every compartment and area his too? Because we tend to think as well, like in in church life or in Christianity, that like, all right, I got my Jesus on Sundays, and if I'm super Christian, like Sundays, Wednesdays, and Bible study, but then the other like four days of the week are mine. Or man, Jesus can have this area, but not that one. And Jesus didn't sign up to be king of some of your life. He signed up to be the king of all of your life. And so it's a process and a journey of surrendering everything to him. Your career. Some of you might be in here this morning and you're in the, in the midst of making a career decision, a career change, and you're like, I don't know if I can trust that to God. You can. Your finances, where some people are still recovering from what happened in 2020 and inflation's going up and gas prices, like you got to take loans out to go to the Sam's Club and get gas, like it's crazy. So, so finances, right, can be hard to submit and surrender. But it's not your money in the first place. You're just borrowing it. And you're actually supposed to be using it to make much of Jesus. You can trust him with your finances. And I just know this to be true about my life. When, when I surrender money to Jesus, he always takes care of me. Like, here, confession. You guys remember the financial series we did here? It was before I even launched out. It was like the last series I was a part of. I was tithing 5%. And I was on staff. <gasps> and in this series, conviction happens. And Jesus is like, yo, you got to start tithing 10%. And I'm like, okay, cool, Jesus, I'm on board. And then I look at my finances and like, dang, that's a lot of money. <laughs> oh. And me and my wife are like, okay, we'll do it. And we ended up having more money at the end of that first month when we rose our giving, doubled our giving. And we had more money in our bank account. And we're like, did we do an error? Like, did, are we going to get like tax, tax issues? Like what's going on? No, God provided. That's what went on. And I'm just telling you, when you submit and surrender, God will take care of you. Maybe for you, it's your hobbies, like what you do with your free time. I saw this really convicting thing. This is for maybe some young dudes in the room. 
this, this guy named Costi Hinn, he's this awesome pastor in Arizona. And he goes, dudes, you need more books and less Xbox. I was like, okay. Like I'm not even, I don't feel like I'm addicted to Xbox, but some of my young folk need this. And he goes, if you want to be a leader, like being behind an Xbox yelling into a microphone is for losers. <laughs> He's like, winners read books, love their wives, go to bed tired and get up and serve the kingdom. Dang. Okay. Maybe some of us need to make better decisions with our hobbies and realize again that, that free time can be used for the glory of God too. Here, we're going we're gonna to go deep. Your past. Uh-oh, y'all quiet now. Your past, your pain, your hurts. Can I really submit that to the kingship and lordship of Jesus? Absolutely. And the good news is, is that God is along for the journey of the mess and the ups and downs and roller coasters of life and all the pain and hurt that you'll face along the way. Many of you know this. I lost my dad at 12 years old. He was an alcoholic, and that ended up taking over his life and taking his life ultimately. And I remember like feeling along the journey, like getting uh, healing and restoration. And I'm like, I mean, I'm good. And then I'm sitting down one day and I'm watching the TV show, This Is Us with my wife. And I'm like 22 years old. And there's this episode where he, this dude's got daddy issues. And I just start weeping like a baby. Snot everywhere. This big, bulky, macho man you see in front of you is weeping on his wife's shoulder. And I realized, oh, snap. I still got a lot of work to do. And Jesus is like, I know but you've come so far and you've got a lot more to go, but I'm here for the journey, bro. Take my hand. I love you. I will guide you. Your family, your future, your time, your mental space, your heart. Like we, we also live in this world where we have like, all right, Jesus can have this part of my life, but I need to go this place for my mental health, this place for my emotional health, this place for my physical health. Like what if church was able to take care of you in that way? And Jesus was able to be the Lord of your life in that way. And he wants all of us. Will you surrender your time, your mental space, your heart to Jesus? And for some of us, we're like, I don't even know what that looks like. I think one of the biggest things that it looks like is discipline with the word of God. Like allowing our time and our energy to be focused around the word of God. And when I say that, some of us, most of us maybe think, okay, I have to have a quiet time in the morning with coffee or tea that I post on Instagram. That's not what I'm saying. It can be that, but it can be much more than that. The Bible is too dynamic to be kept to one hour in the morning while the sun comes up and steam's rising out of your cup from your coffee. Like, what if it looked like every part of your life being consumed by the word of God? You began to use it like the weapon it actually is, to rebuke the enemy, to rebuke the lies, to push back the temptations in your life. Like, I think we get this idea that, man, when I surrender to the kingship of Jesus, it's just going to be easy or there's not going to be temptations. No, it's going to be difficult. And you're going to have a lot of temptations. The good news is Jesus defeated all of them. And so you can lean in on him while you're tempted because he's the one who's defeated temptation. But that requires us to be committed to the Bible. Man, maybe for you, it's listening to audio Bible. Maybe it's having a Bible study in your home. Maybe it's making a habit, a discipline, a practice in your daily life where at your lunch break for 30 minutes, you're going to spend time in the word of God. Maybe you'll even get crazy enough to start memorizing scripture. And I say that kind of facetiously because memorizing scripture is actually a massively important thing in your life because it's how you defeat the enemy. You know how I know this? The Bible. And if you're just looking at like, let's look at our king. What did our king do when faced with a temptation? Quoted the Bible. 
The devil tempted him in the desert three separate times. Jesus' response wasn't punching him in the face with his fists. He punched him in the face with his words. The words from his father. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word from above. So man, if we want to actually make some noise in this world for the kingdom of God, it requires our lives to be centered and submitted to the book. Let me ask it this way. What areas of your life need to come into alignment with the kingship of Jesus today? What areas? And if you're like, well, I don't know, or I think I'm good, pray. (laughs) There's some area, if not many areas of our lives that need to come underneath and be in alignment with the kingship of Jesus today. Grace, may we be a people who adore our great king by gladly submitting and surrendering to him. Verses 37 through 40, keep going. So he's on the donkey. He's making his way towards Jerusalem. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, this is more than just the 12, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd began to say to him, teacher, Listen to that, teacher. Everybody else is calling him Lord. The ones sent by God and the Pharisees, aka the professional party poopers, say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, hey, shut them up. And I love Jesus' response. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Second thing this morning, rejoice in his salvation. Rejoice in his salvation. Jesus shows up to Jerusalem and there's a bunch of noise and clamor beginning to follow suit. There are people singing and praising and notice, pay attention to what they're doing. They're rejoicing and praising with a loud voice. And it's not because they're Pentecostals. It's because their king showed up. That's what you do when your king comes to town. They got loud, they got crazy. And it it wasn't like this crazy for craziness sake. It was an undoneness coming from within because they realized the one they've been longing for and awaiting finally has shown up. But it says they were loud and they were testifying to the mighty works that they had seen. And they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is a quote from Psalm 118, verse 26, which was known very well to be a messianic psalm declaring the coming of King Jesus. And then what do the Pharisees do? They address Jesus and Jesus responds. And he says, listen, you need a rebuke. They say, you need to teach or rebuke your disciples. And I just want to make this, this is a side note for free. If Jesus is only a teacher to you and not a king, he'll be very frustrating to you because he refuses to be merely a teacher. And I think if we're honest this morning, for most of us, if if we're finding Jesus frustrating, it's because we're not wanting him to be king, but something else a genie in a bottle, a self-help fixer, some moralist teacher that we can align our lives with and still wall out but feel good and bad and go through that like weird, awkward dance where we're morally okay but still jacked up on the inside. Whatever it is for you, if you're wanting Jesus to be anything other than king, he's gonna frustrate you because he refuses to be anything but king. And that's what's best for you and me. Jesus being a morally good teacher doesn't save us. Jesus being just some person who's, who's meek and gentle doesn't save us. Although he is all of those things, by the way. 
but it's the fact that he's the king that allows him to do those things perfectly and also be our savior in the midst. Jesus says that, man, if these people don't sing out, the rocks are gonna do it for them. I love the way that book put it. You can't shut up the whole world when its creator comes to town. Jesus, in this moment, is revealing himself. Remember, big reveals merit big responses. What is Jesus revealing? I am the Messiah. And he's not just telling it to them with their lips, or with his lips, but with his fulfilling of prophecy, with his way of rolling into town. The Messiah would come in on a cult the way Jesus came in, because Jesus is the Messiah. Now, we need to understand, what is the Messiah? The Messiah is the anointed one. If you were a Jew in this day and age, you would have known full well who, like, what the Messiah was, who it was going to be, and what he was going to look like. And so Jesus shows up claiming to be Messiah. If you're a Jew, everything inside of you is wanting to leap for joy. And so, again, their response makes sense. And Jesus is inviting us to join them. He's the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior King who would come to save, redeem, and make all things right. That was the job of the Messiah. And so we must be a rejoicing people because Jesus has come to save. Jesus has come to save. That's why he stepped out of heaven and entered into humanity. The, the God who created all things in perfection, the perfection of creation began to fall as it turned its back against God. And yet God didn't sit idly on the sidelines and wait for us to figure it out. No, he hopped into creation and he became a man, the perfect God man, Jesus, who lived a sinless life for 33 years. And then he died a sufficient death, not just for us, but as us. Like when Jesus died, that should have been you, that should have been me. And he took our place and he took our sin and he took all the wrath of God that we deserved because our sin separated us from God for eternity. And yet Jesus pays the bill in full. And we know that to be true because Jesus isn't in the grave anymore. He rose again victoriously. And he came back and he hung out with his friends for 40 days, had a fish fry, went back to heaven and said, yo, I got to send you somebody named Holy Spirit. He's my friend. And he's coming and he's going to light this world on fire for me. And the church was born. And here we are, we're living in the last days, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, awaiting our king to return. And if we put our faith in Jesus and trust in him, this salvation becomes ours. So what does it look like to actually rejoice in his salvation? Again, we need Holy Spirit's help. We need him. But with him, it can look beautiful. We keep in perspective God's mighty works. We see that when uh, the disciples, or when Jesus, ooh, I got loud. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Some of y'all ain't paying attention. That's what that is. Holy Spirit woke y'all up. Some good's about to come out of my mouth now. Woo. <laughs> Jesus shows up to town and all the disciples are proclaiming the mighty works of God. They're testifying. Oh, he walked on water. Oh, he fed 5,000. Oh, he healed that person. He healed the lame, the blind, the sick. Oh, he rose someone from the dead. Oh, demons, yeah, he told them to get out of here. Go find somewhere else, mind your own business, get back to hell where you belong. And they're testifying to all that Jesus had been up to, and they're doing it loudly, by the way. And that's why the Pharisees didn't like it. They were making a scene. But they were keeping in perspective the mighty works of God. So here's the practical for you and me. Share testimonies of what God is doing in your life. 
big and small. Share testimonies of what God is doing in your life. Nothing is too small for God to get glory from. And so, man, testify to what he's up to. Like for me, man, my daughter, Hadley, my oldest, uh, November 21st, 2021, gave her life to Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and we were, we were, yeah, it's amazing. We were sitting in church and I was sharing the gospel and my daughter sitting in church because we have the kids sit in with us. And man, Hadley's like, wait a minute, what's that? She'd heard the gospel before and my, my wife had the honor of beginning to answer all the questions and look to Hadley and be like, do you want to give your life to Jesus? She goes, yeah, I'd love to do that. And you know what's so funny? Here's the beautiful part of this story too. If I can be really honest with y'all, like as a pastor, knowing the PK stereotype, my first inclination was like, ah, but I don't know if it's real because she's five. And then God's like, excuse me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's true. Okay. And so, man, I just rebuked that in the name of Jesus. Took my daughter out to Dairy Queen and celebrated like it was the end of the world. Because, man, if it is the end of the world, I know where she's going. And man, we made a party out of that day because that's worth celebrating. Kingsley, the makeup covered one. Uh, last night, she, man, I love it. We pray every night together, but Kingsley typically recites these prayers that rhyme. And I think she means them for sure, but, but typically it's just like this regurgitated thing. Last night, she prays on her own. And she's like, uh, and when she knows she's got our attention. It's like a 10 minute prayer. I'm like, that's fine. Uh, and she's like, uh, God, thank you for Evie, and thank you for allowing me to go to Evie's house two times, and thank you that Evie lives next to Bennett now, and they have a new house, and she's just saying all this nonsense, right? I mean, I mean that's good stuff, right? But she's just saying things, but it's coming from her heart, and she's praying for the first time without this, like, rhyming prayer. Like, God's, like she's starting to understand the beauty and depth of prayer. Let me just testify to some stuff that's been going on at Zeal Church. A couple weeks back, we prayed for four people that they would be healed. Two people physically, two people mentally or emotionally. All four people within like 48 hours were healed. All four. One lady, her ankle was hurting her so bad that she had to like, like work had to send her home. So we laid hands, we anointed her with oil, laid hands on her, prayed for her. That This was on Sunday. Tuesday, she went back to work. We had another lady, her back was hurting so bad. She got out for church one Sunday, couldn't even get out of bed because her back locked up. For months was having issues. We laid hands on her, prayed for her. That next week, the best week she's had in a long time with pain-free back. We, we, had, we have this one family who on the one-year anniversary of losing the patriarch of their family, who was a pastor for 30 years, shows up to our church. We have the honor of like walking with them, but man, there's heartache, right? And that Sunday they get prophesied over saying, life is gonna be beautiful for you. This is not the end, this is just the beginning. That next day, they go in, the woman goes into work. Her boss is like, yo, something's different about you. What's up? She's like, uh, yeah, we found a church family, and Jesus is changing our lives. <laughs> we have this one girl, Kaya. I love it. She's so raw. She's, like, new to the faith. And she just confesses, like, hey, man, I, I have an unforgiving heart. I need healing. And just starts crying. And we lay hands. We pray. That next morning, she texts me this paragraph. And is like, you want to talk about a two-by-four spiritual, two-by-four in the face? So the way she sends me a text is like, come on, bring it, tell me. And she says, I was sitting at the bus stop, and I see this person who I'd hurt from my past, and I didn't want to acknowledge they were there, and the Holy Spirit got me up, took me over there. I asked for forgiveness, and that person wouldn't forgive me. And she said, Holy Spirit sweetly said to me in that moment, you can't be that for other people. 
And she said, I knew in that moment, like unforgiveness couldn't be something I keep walking in. And she said, man, I have to, all caps, I have to forgive people. You know, talk about God just up to stuff, man. And what happens is when we testify, we keep in perspective of all the mighty works of God. It rises up faith in the room. It pushes back doubt and darkness. It builds up faith and courage. It's also going to take off the Pharisees. So just be ready. But man, it builds up the faith. And we have to remember this, church. God's worthiness extends beyond our circumstances. We have to keep in perspective God's mighty works, but God's worthiness extends beyond our circumstances. God's character must sit above our circumstances. I want you to to think about this reality, right? Jesus rolls into town and there's a multitude of disciples. It's telling us that for a reason. That means all different types of backgrounds, ages, socioeconomic statuses, people who are on the top of the mountain, in the bottom of the valley, or kind of numb in between when it comes to their view of God and how they're engaging with him. And yet the king shows up and all of their attention goes away from their own self onto him. And so Jesus is here this morning and he's parading down the aisle and he's trying to get you to get your attention on him to say, it doesn't matter what you've gone through this week. It doesn't matter how the church has hurt you. It doesn't matter what kind of pain or frustration you're walking in. It doesn't matter how high you feel on top of the mountain. It doesn't matter how low you feel in the valley. I am worthy of your attention. Get your eyes off of those things and get them onto me and watch what I can do. And that's what he's calling us to this morning. The king has come. And Jesus, I love how he addresses the Pharisees because what he's ultimately saying, he's like, listen, I'm going to get what's mine regardless of how I get it. The attention, the glory, the honor, the praise, it's all mine. I'm going to get it. So if it's the rocks or the people, I'm going to get it. And as I began to think about that, I began to to remember this song uh, called Lift You High. And it says, oh, I won't let the rocks cry out in my place. We return the breath you gave with our praise. Jesus is reminding us this morning that creation can't help itself. It's going to praise God. It's what it's meant to do. That's actually what you were made to do too. The question we need to ask for ourselves this morning though is, are the rocks taking our place right now? Are the rocks taking our place? I'm not trying to condemn you this morning, but man, would you let that sweet conviction actually like get you out from underneath yourself, out from underneath your apathy and laziness for a minute and say, maybe right now, but not any longer. Heck no, not let rocks cry out in my place. Because man, we have more than a thousand reasons to sing. There's so much God has done for us. And if you're here like, I don't know, man. Like, be honest. Like, if you're, I don't know. It seems like other people are highly favored and blessed. Like, I don't know. It just feels like me. I'm, I'm, I feel like God is kind of giving me the cold shoulder, the stiff arm. And I'm just here to tell you, man, God is pursuing actively after you. And if you want to see it, look at the gospel. Look at what Jesus has done. Man, Jesus became sin that you might become a righteousness. And Jesus took on all of your mess, all of your shame. Jesus makes it possible for you no longer to be identified by your past. Shoot, Jesus makes it possible for you no longer to be identified by what you do. Jesus, if you were in Christ, made it possible that hell is no longer your destination. And Jesus made it possible for you to actually have purpose and meaning in life. 
Jesus made it possible for you to have joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. And I'm not even getting into specifics, and that's a lot of really good stuff. So if you're longing to know, man, how can I rejoice? Man, look at the word. Look at the faithfulness of God time and time again. I was listening to a song last, or yesterday. He's like, like, it says, God, you won't lie to me. You can't lie to me. It's just proclaiming that truth. You won't lie. God can't even lie to us. And guess what? When you lie to him, he's not going to lie back. He's not going to get all offended and, and like beat you up or give you the cold shoulder. He's going to lean in, forgive, and help you move on. And that's the goodness of our God. There's a lot of reasons to praise him. So let us be a people who are a rejoicing people, learning the practice of rejoicing always because we have a God who is more than worthy of our affection. Verses 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. A bit of a turn in the event. Jesus goes from all the attention being on him, praise, honor, glory, shouting, joy out the wazoo. And yet here we are, it says, when he drew near to the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that made for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Third and final point, receive his peace. Receive his peace. Jesus gets close to Jerusalem and he begins to weep. And here's why he weeps. Because he knows he's about to be rejected. And it's not because Jesus is insecure. (laughs) It's not because Jesus is like, oh, they rejected me. Now I got to be all sad and mopey. That's not what he's doing. He knows that what he's offering them will not be received. And what he's offering them is eternal life. And because our Savior is tenderhearted and loving and kind and gentle and knows what it's like to be a human, he weeps. Let that bring comfort to your soul this morning. That your God knows what you're going through to the point of shedding tears. And he knows what they're about to go through. He's prophesying to them what's going to happen. And that conjures up tears in his eyes because it stirs up his heart. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of king on the throne. He's not a jerk. He's kind and tender and gentle. And he's beginning to tell them prophetically about how Rome will come and destroy them. And that actually happens starting in AD 70. And he weeps because many of God's own people will actually miss the Messiah. They won't realize that peace was right in front of them. And the invitation that Jesus wants us to gleam and gather from this this morning is to not be a people who reject the Messiah, but to be a people who receive him. And the invitation Jesus is inviting us to receive this morning is the peace that he's come to bring. Notice what he says, and if you'd have only known what was coming before you to make peace, and yet you missed it. Jesus is... Again, this morning, because we know this side of the cross, what happened. Coming to you and me this morning, regardless of where you stand with him, and inviting you into the peace that is his person. We need to understand this morning that peace isn't just something Jesus gives us, it's something that he is. Which means that your circumstance may not change, or it may change for the worse. And yet your peace can increase 
because it's not contingent upon circumstances. It's contingent upon his presence. If you have the presence of Jesus, whatever storms or wild and crazy things that life can throw at you are only going to enable peace, not hinder it. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite like, historical preachers, says this phrase, and I love it. I've been quoting it like crazy recently. He says this, I've learned to kiss the waves that slam me against the rock of ages. What he's saying in that, he's like, man, if life wants to throw storms at me, that's fine. I'll kiss them because they're going to, as I kiss them, slam me up against Jesus. It may hurt because a rock, when you slam up against it, it's kind of hard, but I ain't going anywhere. It's going to build me up and it's going to encourage me and strengthen me and fortify me and refine me. Will you learn to kiss the rock or kiss the wave that slams you against the rock of ages? Will you invite the peace of Jesus into your life? Because that peace is incredible. Ben Lawrence reminded me of Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 18, that actually explains for us what this peace actually is. Because Jesus coming to give us peace is far more significant, far more incredible, far more impactful than we often realize. We think peace is just like uh, being able to actually breathe when our kids are destroying our house. Or like being in traffic and not honking the horn or cussing under your breath, amen? Oh, I'm at peace. I got my latte from Starbucks and I got a green light on the way to work. That's a low ball for peace. <laughs> so what is this peace? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's peace. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus has come to make peace between us and God you can actually be in a right standing with the God of the universe who you drastically offended with your sin. Jesus has come to say, hey, that gap that stood in the way I filled, and now I'm the bridge that gets you from the Father, or gets you from where you're at to the Father. He also makes peace amongst us. See, the good news about Jesus' peace, it's not that like, okay, me and him are good, now I gotta be wild out with the rest of the world. No, you can have peace with man. You can have peace with one another. And he's calling us to receive this and walk in that peace that he purchased for us. How do we do it? Again, we need Holy Spirit to lead us. But as he leads us, I think it actually has massive implications and impact on how we live. And if we've received the peace of Christ, here's some things that will happen. We no longer begin to walk in guilt, shame, sin, or brokenness. It's an actual identity transformation. It's an identity change. This means when you become a follower of Jesus, you're no longer a sinner, you're a saint who happens to sometimes sin. And we need to embrace that identity and reality. It is damaging to our faith when as followers of Jesus, we keep calling ourselves sinners because that's not who we are anymore. We don't minimize sin, we don't glaze over it, we don't act like it's not a big deal. In fact, the cross tells us it's a massive deal, but that Jesus already dealt with it. This actually means we can walk in true repentance. That's what true repentance is. It's to grieve over our sin. It's to refuse to wallow in it though and to move on. See, true repentance means we refuse to wallow in self-pity. 
True repentance means we can look at our sin, look at our mess and say, man, I messed up there, but Jesus has redeemed it and fixed it all. And I'm gonna choose to embrace the identity he purchased for me. Therefore, I walk in freedom and grace. And I begin to extend it to those around me. See, the good news of the gospel is it gets us outside of ourselves, gets our eyes on Jesus and others around us. So our own, we, plea, or we own our own sin and we plead the blood of Jesus over it. And we watch God use our weakness to flex his own muscles. Yeah, man, I really screwed up. <laughs> yeah, I was a hypocrite. Yeah, I did lie there. Yeah, I, I was a people pleaser in that moment. Yeah, I did lust after that thing and I shouldn't have. But God is bigger. God's blood is thicker. God is stronger. He is resurrected and he's alive. Yes. And that matters. Yes. And this peace infuses us with the grace that compels us to no longer want to settle for sin. See, grace doesn't just pardon us from sin, it empowers us to no longer keep sinning. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that it says like, not only are you no longer guilty, you're no longer wanting to sin. And so it gives us a courage and a boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, to push back the darkness of Satan and hell. Can I just be real with some of us this morning? Some of us aren't ready to actually push back, back the gates of hell because we're too fixated on ourselves. But the good news this morning is that you can actually get over that and give that to Jesus and become a force to be reckoned with in the kingdom of God. To actually can be used by the king to push back the gates of hell. To be one of those kind of folks that wake up in the morning and the demons are like, oh, dang it. To like walk into a place and to make people who are being overpowered by demonic forces really uncomfortable. Like I've been in situations recently where people, by the grace of God said, man, I felt like something was behind me. It felt like the Holy Spirit and I turned around and you were there. Like I've seen people who are being like bogged down by demonic oppression and I walk in a room and they start fidgeting. Some of y'all are like, I don't even know what that means. You'll get there. Holy Spirit's in you. It's not me. I don't know what I'm doing. Holy Spirit does. But man, that's the kind of force you can be for the kingdom of God when you embrace the peace that Jesus purchased for you on the cross should begin to be people who push back the gates of hell because guess what? They're not advancing. Gates keep things out. You realize we're the ones who are going after people, not the devil. Like we're taking back the territory that God already owns, that, that Satan thought he had. And so what Satan's worried about is us going into hell and snatching people out. He can't get people. But man, when we begin to embrace that reality, it changes things. And we only embrace that when we take on the very peace that Jesus purchased for us. And ultimately, this is what it means. Receiving his peace means that Jesus is more than enough. He's more than enough. But what about when everything else goes crazy? He's more than enough. So you can be like Paul. I've learned how to be content with everything and content with nothing because Jesus is all I need. So in closing, Jesus reveals his royalty so that we can respond to him rightly. The king of the universe grace, who stepped out of heaven to enter into humanity, lived perfectly, died sufficiently, rose victoriously, and is in this very moment seated on his throne rightfully, is revealing himself to you today. Will you respond to Jesus rightly? We're going to now move into a time of prayer. And I just ask that question, like, will you respond to Jesus rightly? We're going to give you an actual opportunity to do that. 
So we're gonna trust Holy Spirit to lead and move because I believe he's up to something in this room. I believe he wants to heal and deliver and set free this morning. I believe there's people who are not saved in this room who need to walk out of here saved because Holy Spirit wants to draw you into the kingdom of God. So at this time, I'm gonna invite the prayer team up to be ready to receive whatever the Holy Spirit's up to. Man, if you need prayer this morning, if you need someone to talk to, if you need to rejoice over what God has been doing in your life, we wanna give you that opportunity. So I'm gonna open the floor up and then man, as I'm done, we're gonna move into this moment and let the spirit lead it how he wants to, amen? Let's go for it. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, get us fixated on Jesus. Get our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for anybody in the room who's feeling scared. They're like, what in the world is about to happen? Give them peace, Holy Spirit. God, I pray for the person in the room whose heart is very heavy right now. So heavy, they feel like they're losing breath in this moment. Give them peace. God, I pray for the person who needs physical healing, who's been longing to be physically healed for years. It feels like it's not gonna happen. Give them peace. God, I pray for the skeptic in the room. Jesus, I thank you that you love skeptics, that you go after them, that you're not scared of them, that you, you actually love them and you're drawing towards them right now. Give them peace. And I pray for the Christian in the room who feels like they screwed up too big to be redeemed. Remind them of their identity right now. The one who feels too gross and too far away, the one who too, too, feels too filthy and dirty and, and feels smelly, Holy Spirit, draw them into you right now. Remind them that you are enough. They don't have to be good enough because you already are. Holy Spirit, let this be a moment. Let this be an opportunity for Jesus to be big in our eyes. So Holy Spirit, we come to you in faith and say, have your way, do what you wanna do. This is your space, this is your place. And Jesus, we are your people. So we bow down humbly and gladly at your kingship right now. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The floor is open. Move as the Spirit leads you. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.